She, along with every single Republican colleague, voted against the law that made these investments and jobs possible. And she called this law a massive failure. You all know you're part of a massive failure? Tell that to the 850 Colorados to get new jobs in Pueblo and CS win thanks to this law. None of that sounds like a massive failure to me. How about you? No, it doesn't sound like a massive failure to me either. Then again, I never went to the theater with Lauren Bobin. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I'm just saying, maybe she could convince me. Something right. Okay. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, uh, boy howdy, Desi Doyen. Winter came slamming into uh, parts of the interior northeast this week. Yep. Good luck with that, y'all. In a big way, more than 40 inches of snow falling in just two days on parts of the Great Lakes as an Arctic blast swept down as far south as northern Florida. The heaviest snowfall was recorded at Constableville, New York, where 42.7 inches fell as of last night in two days, Desi Doyen. I bet it's beautiful, but ouch. Wednesday morning was also the coldest of the season so far for much of the East Coast, with New York City dipping into the 20s. Frost and freeze-related advisories were in place from the Florida Panhandle to South Georgia as temperatures were set to dip again Thursday morning to near or below the freezing mark, which would be very bad news indeed. It could damage or kill sensitive crops, according to the National Weather Service, though temperatures are expected to rise toward the weekend. 42 inches of snow in two days. That's a lot. Uh, we we weren't able to fit that into our latest Green News report coming up a little bit later, as there's a lot going on right now. And, uh, well, uh, the other question is, is that just normal wintertime weather, Des? Or or is that another yet another sign of climate change? Maybe. 
Maybe you we know don't nothing. know yet. We, we don't, don't know yet. Right. It will take uh, the scientists at the World Weather <laughs> Attribution Network to examine this particular extreme weather event, like they do with other extreme weather events around the world and around the. So there is someone who determines that yes, this is a climate change. Yeah. Related... Well, what they would do is they would determine the odds of how much you know, like if it's worse than it would have been, how much worse it would have been in the absence of man-made climate gotcha. change. So you know, remember lake effect snow yeah. requires cold air crossing over a relatively warmer Warm body water, yeah. of water where it picks up all that water in uh, in water vapor mm-hmm. and then dumps it immediately once it passes over the lake. So which when is the why water is that. warmer, uh, for whatever reason, yes. you are likely to have an event like this yes, where more snow. picks up more right. precipitation and <clears throat> drops it. And so just remember, though, we do have a rising baseline. So as the planet's temperature warms, uh, lake temperatures are also likely to stay warmer longer into the winter. And that means warmer lakes mean also that there will be less ice cover. And that will also allow lake effect to uh, run later into the winter. So... Yeah, it could be, and uh, definitely the baseline is raising. So. Sounds like Desi is, <clears throat> in fact, announcing that to be climate change related up there in New York. <laughs> well, it so could good luck. be, but we don't know exactly how much. Now, there has been uh, quite a bit uh, more, actually, in environmental-related news over the past 12 or 24 hours that either came in too late for our latest GNR or we just couldn't find time within our allotted six minutes for (laughs) it. So uh, I actually hope to hit a a, a bit more of that, a lot more of that, if time, on today's program. But uh, quickly, just so you know that we're keeping our eye on pretty much everything we can these days, a state appeals court in New York reinstated a gag order against Donald Trump and his lawyers in the $250 million civil fraud case filed by State Attorney General Tish James against the former president and his company, rejecting his argument that the order was somehow unconstitutional. State court officials argued the gag order was necessary because of the, quote, deluge of threats, hundreds of them, in fact, and they were vile, directed at the judge's clerk after Trump blasted her and lied about her on social media. Trump renewed those attacks on the clerk after a judge from the state appellate division briefly issued a temporary stay of the order earlier this month during Trump's appeal According to, of that order. According to the, uh, the court, the clerk's, quote, personal information, including her personal cell phone number and personal email address, have been compromised, resulting in daily doxing. She has been subjected to, on a daily basis, harassing, disparaging comments and anti-Semitic tropes. And, in fact, those threats spiked after the gag order was temporarily lifted during the appeal, the court noted. The ruling on Thursday by a four-judge panel rejected Trump's appeal and restated the orders against Trump and his lawyers. The decision, however, does not yet explain the judge's rationale, but it means that the gag order will now stay in place or be put back in place as the panel considers Trump's full appeal of those orders. Judge Arthur Ngoron, who issued the orders, informed both sides of the appeals of the appeals court's decision at the ongoing trial. He warned them, quote, I intend to enforce the gag orders rigorously and vigorously, and I want to make sure counsel informs their clients of the fact that the stay on the order was vacated. 
The judge had previously fined Trump a total of $15,000 after finding on two separate occasions that he had violated the order. Further violations could end up costing him much more, including potential jailing, which is beginning to sound like a better and better idea to me. Uh, drama queen and Trump attorney Chris Keis told the judge that, quote, it's a tragic day <laughs> for the rule of law. Yes, it is tragic when a man being sued for and who has already been ruled against in the trial, by the way, for lying about his assets by more than $2 billion on financial forms. Uh, it's a sad day, a tragic day. When that man can't attack a young court clerk with lies to the point where she receives hundreds of death threats. Very sad. Very tragic. What tyranny. Kais added in a statement to NBC News that it's, quote, hard to imagine a more unfair process <laughs> and hard to believe this is happening in America. He claimed the ruling means that his client, quote, may not even comment on why he thinks he cannot get a fair trial. Which is, of course, complete nonsense. He is more than welcome to comment on the trial and why it is so unfair. He just can't attack the court clerk uh, or the court staff in doing so. The order only bars him and his attorneys from talking about court staff. They do not prevent Trump or his attorneys from criticizing uh, Judge Angoron or State Attorney General Letitia James's office, or her herself, uh, after they brought the claims against him. Apparently, he may continue to attack them all that he wants, despite the hundreds of threats that that has brought to them as well. But that's okay. That's still allowed. You just can't go after the clerk. Other than that, totally tragic day for the nation. Trump's attorneys have uh, complained about the clerk passing notes to the judge, which, of course, is part of her job, and accused her of rolling her eyes during the questioning. Poor dears. I hope they're okay. Um, shortly after the ruling, Trump, sp speaking of drama queens, called the case, quote, the most unfair trial in the history of New York on his social media platform, and then he went on to attack the judge's wife, who was also not covered by the gag order. Uh, and by the way, he apparently attacked her for uh, what she had uh, posted on Twitter, even though she says she has no Twitter account. Now, mind you, this is a bench trial. There's no jury. Judge Angoron is the jury. And the good news is that the judge has already found Trump and his company and his two eldest sons guilty of fraud during a summary judgment in this case before the trial itself even began. The trial itself is largely to determine the penalties that they will all pay. Uh, in addition to hundreds of millions of dollars, the entire Trump crew may be disallowed from ever doing business in New York again in this lawsuit. The judge has already ordered a bunch of uh, Trump companies into receivership. So, yeah, sorry, uh, Donnie, you mad, bro? Don't commit fraud, bro. <laughs> the trial is expected to wrap up in mid-January with a final ruling expected a few weeks after that, just in time for the primary season. And, hey, speaking of primary season and election season, sort of, 
The OPEC oil cartel led by Saudi Arabia and allied producers, including Russia, made another big swipe at propping up lagging crude oil prices on Thursday, expanding cuts of output into next year and bringing up uh, bring, uh, and bringing up and coming oil supplier Brazil into the fold, at least sending them an invitation to join OPEC+. Plus. Have you noticed how Saudi Arabia and Russia take actions to raise the price of oil whenever there's a Democrat in the White House running for election and then they lower it to help Republicans whenever they are in the White House? Have you noticed that? Funny how that timing works. Yes, I have noticed that. As the New York Times notes today, lower oil prices in recent months have been a good thing for U.S. drivers who have been able to fill their gas tanks for less money. But it's bad news for OPEC plus countries whose oil income bolsters their economies and who have faced setbacks in pushing prices higher despite initial fears, I guess for OPEC, hopes that the Israel-Hamas war might somehow affect oil flows. Uh, This news, by the way, on the first day of the United Nations Climate Conference in Dubai. I think we'll have some better news out of that in a bit, Uh, but that, of course, is the Conference of the World's Nations focused on cutting the burning of dirty, deadly fossil fuels that are fueling our climate crisis. So I guess OPEC is just trying to help. By cutting <laughs> cutting back on uh, supply, the OPEC plus oil ministers came out of an online meeting um, on Thursday with more than two million barrels per day in voluntary cuts through the first three months of next year and declared that Brazil would join the bloc in January, bringing one of the world's fastest growing oil producers into the alliance uh, and trying to rein in global supply in order to raise ratchet up their prices. Saudi Arabia led the uh, deepening voluntary cuts on Thursday, extending its reduction. It's already had uh, been reducing its uh, output, uh, extending its reduction of one million barrels per day through March. It was followed by Russia, which is cutting half a million barrels per day of crude and refined oil products, and then Iraq, The United Arab Emirates, that's the host nation for the U.N.'s COP28 conference kicking off this week. Uh, Also Kuwait, Kazakhstan, Algeria and Oman with uh, smaller amounts of cuts. Russia wants higher oil prices in order to boost the main way that it fills its war chest against Ukraine. However, sweeping cutbacks from OPEC plus and individual member countries since October of 2022 have not made lasting changes to oil prices. That is in part because despite what you may hear from Republicans and Fox News about how uh, U.S. needs to become energy dominant again, like we were under Donald Trump. Remember that? Well, U.S. oil production has, in fact, hit records as OPEC has been cut back. But if you're tired of foreign adversaries having this kind of really control influence over American elections where they could just sort of turn up the dial whenever they want against uh, one party in favor of another party, well, you know, there's another way we could get off of fossil fuels entirely. 
Joe Biden was in Colorado talking about programs that work toward exactly that on Wednesday. We will get to that in a moment as well. In related-ish news that you probably haven't heard about, on Thursday, the Department of Interior announced that it was it has provided more than $468 million in fiscal year 2023 from President Biden's Investing in America agenda to reduce wildfire risk, mitigate impacts, and rehabilitate burned areas across the country. The influx of funding, according to a press release from Interior Today, has allowed the department to accomplish uh, fuels management projects on over 2.5 million acres of land in fiscal year 23, a 30% increase over fiscal year 22. That's good news. Yes. Quote, as uh, wildfire seasons become longer, more intense, and more dangerous, said Interior Department Secretary Deb Holland, investments from President Biden's Investing in America agenda are helping provide for a more strategic approach to wild to wildland fire management and mitigation, greater support of wildland firefighters, and much-needed equipment and preparedness methods. Which is uh, something that you have long talked about, Desi Doyen, on the Green News Report, and the the faltering um, funds that have been going to uh, firefighters, even right. while the fire seasons have gotten longer and much worse all around the country. Right. The U.S. Forest Service has had to raid its own fund for prevention to actually pay for current wildfire fighting. So this will this boost in funding will help improve the uh, management that they were already doing and be able to expand that. And especially important is uh, raise the pay of wildland firefighters because they don't get paid nearly enough. Yeah, and there's more. Well, so... This is the sort of thing that I want my government doing, actually, you know, investing in keeping us safe. And, in, you know, as someone who lives out here in California, I know we talked about the 40 inches of snow in the Northeast. Well, out here we have, you know, towns that are just burned down in a matter of hours out of nowhere. Um, and so, you know, having more support for that is critical. The bipartisan infrastructure law is uh, bringing much needed support, says Interior. To communities across the country to increase the resilience of lands facing the threat of wildland fires and to better support uh, wildland firefighters. The funding is part of the so-called bipartisan infrastructure law. It was signed by uh, President Biden in 2021 with a few Republicans, mostly in the Senate, supporting it, along with all of the Democrats in Congress. The law includes one and a half billion for the Department over five years related to wildfire preparedness, mitigation, restoration, and fire science, if you can believe such a thing. What? Science? The law also provides increased support to the Joint Fire Science Program. That's an interagency partnership with the USDA Forest Service that funds wildfire science research projects. So, again, that is the sort of thing that I want my government doing. That is unfortunately, is exactly the sort of thing that Republicans, mostly in the U.S. House, have been attempting to kill. Yes. By stripping some, they want to strip 30 percent across the board for domestic programs like this. In the proposed federal budgets uh, that they've been putting forward that have been used to threaten government shutdowns in recent months, those cuts 
you know, are not just some amorphous spending. Oh, let's just lower our cuts. They are, you know, real government programs that will be shut down or cut way back when you hear Republicans complaining about, you know, the government is spending too much. Of course, they only mean on programs like this and health care and, you know, things that actually help people. On the other hand, they're more than happy, along with Democrats, to increase military military spending each year. And if left to Republicans, to increase funding and other gifts to the fossil fuel industry. While cutting trillions of dollars in tax revenue... That comes in uh, from millionaires and billionaires and multi-billion dollar corporations. The uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, Interior Notes, uh, is the law signed by Biden last year. It also provides for major reforms for federal wildland firefighters, including a temporary pay raise, Mm. as you noted, uh, a new mental wellness and health program and a new job series for federal firefighters. The Biden administration, Biden-Harris administration, they note, is also working closely with congressional leaders to secure a long-term solution for wildland firefighter pay, as That's you were noting. very important. And again, this is what I want my federal government doing. And also... This, which seems to me to be long overdue good news for the nation, the Biden administration announced today that it is proposing new requirements for the removal of virtually all lead pipes across the country in an effort to prevent another public health catastrophe like the one that came to define Flint, Michigan, a few years ago. The proposal on Thursday from the Environmental Protection Agency would impose the strictest limits on lead in drinking water since federal standards were first set 30 years ago. We only set federal standards for drinking water 30 years ago? Yeah. That would be uh, 1991, the Safe Drinking Water Act. Uh, Prior to that, I guess there was no federal standards on, on drinking water? Yeah. The uh, the new restrictions uh, would affect about nine million pipes that snake through communities across the country. So there you go. That is what I want from my federal government. And they're giving it to me. Maybe. Hopefully. Quote, this is the strongest lead rule that the nation has ever seen, said Radika Fox, the EPA's assistant administrator for water. This is historic progress, she said. Digging up and replacing lead pipes from coast to coast is no small undertaking. The EPA estimates the price at $20 billion to $30 billion over the course of a decade, which actually kind of does sound like a small undertaking, at least a small price to pay over 10 years. Elon Musk paid $44 billion to buy Twitter and destroy it. So 20 to 30 billion dollars over 10 years to keep millions of children from becoming mentally ill like Elon Musk (laughs) seems a uh, pretty small price to pay to me. Well, Uh, to put that into perspective, that 30 billion, which is the max estimate over 10 years. So that's, you know, really just three billion a year. um, That 30 billion is only three percent or so of the Department of Defense's budget request for 2022, I think. So for for a single year, for a single year. 
Yeah, but, oh, you know, uh, Republicans are going to be complaining about this. We're out of money. We can't afford this. Let's let the water damage the brains of children. It'll raise your water rates. $15 billion will be available for a start from the 2021 infrastructure law. Passed by all uh, Democrats, I believe, the tw- or the infrastructure law is the bipartisan infrastructure law, well, I guess. Barely, not... barely bipartisan infrastructure <laughs> they're, law. They're not specific here in this t- New York Times report, but lead is a neurotoxin. It can cause irreversible damage to the nervous system and the brain, the tiniest amounts. It poses a particular danger to infants and children and can impair their cognitive development, cause behavioral disorders, and lead to lower IQs. Yet, from the uh, nation's earliest days, lead was used to make pipes, to carry water to homes and businesses. Many of those pipes are still in place, and yet when the plumbing corrodes, the lead leaches into the drinking water. The problem drew national attention back in 2014 in Flint, when a change in the water source by Republicans in Michigan, which the Times does not point out, change in the water source by Republicans and inadequate treatment uh, and testing by those same folks, because, you know, you got to save money. That led to uh, lead contamination uh, in the drinking, in the tap water of about 100,000 residents between 2014 and 2015. Lead levels in drinking water also soared in 2019 in Newark, New Jersey, where uh, 40% of students are special needs now. All of these effects we see in our classroom every single day, said one teacher in Newark. The EPA estimates that its proposal would generate would generate $9.8 billion to $34.8 billion in economic benefits each year in the form of less cognitive impairment and fewer health disorders, especially in children. Children can be more productive when they grow up when they don't have brain damage. It's a very simple investment. So uh, even if you're putting out $30 billion a year and you're making anywhere from 10 to $35 billion uh, in, in costs that you're not spending on things like health care and special education, you're coming out ahead, it seems to me. Quote, we have failed generations of children by not eliminating lead, said Mona Hanna Atisha, the Michigan pedi- uh, pediatrician whose research helped first expose the 2014 Flint water crisis. She said, quote, when you have a poison that has no no safe levels at all in our drinking water, it makes it impossible to make sure that the future of our nation is successful. To finally have a rule that mandates the removal of lead pipes is exactly what the government should be doing, she said. And I agree, it is. And now or soon, at least, we will finally be doing it. Just doing it across the entire country. The proposal would update regulations under the 1991 Safe Drinking Water Act and, as the Times reports, is the most forceful part of a multi-front push that President Biden has made to stop lead exposure and address racial health disparities in the U.S. Children in communities of color and in low-income urban areas are more likely to be exposed to lead from paint 
and aging water systems than their counterparts in areas with new housing and infrastructure. If the new rule is approved, this would be a big, big project, but it is the kind of big project that I want my government to be doing. It's not going to be done by private companies, state and local, you know, water commissions. They don't have that kind of money that is needed to do these sorts of things. In short, only, only the federal government can kickstart this sort of thing. Unless Elon Musk wants to spend $44 billion uh, for good instead of evil. So I'm happy to see the Biden administration taking it on. Finally, it'll take 10 years. If all goes well, it'll take 10 years. Under the EPA's proposal announced Thursday, utilities must eliminate lead pipes over the next 10 years at a pace of 10% each year. Minimum pace. So this uh, won't be completed by the time that Biden is out of office, uh, no matter whether he wins re-election uh, next year or not. But good luck to the next you know, Republican president or Congress who actually wants to cut the funding to help prevent children from becoming brain damaged by drinking water out of the tap across the country. All right, let's take a break here. We'll come back with a few more things that the federal government has been long overdue in doing, but is now doing under President Biden, who spoke about a bunch of those things, even while taking a few shots at MAGA Republicans fighting against uh, those programs uh, in Colorado on Wednesday. That and a Green News report with a curiously... <laughs> larger ratio of good to bad news than normal. Are you okay? Uh, Perhaps it makes up for so much of the terrible news that I've otherwise had to report so far this week. Uh, All of that is also ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, it's Brad. It's the end of another year and crucially, perhaps terrifyingly, the beginning of yet another critical presidential election year. Longtime listeners of the Bradcast and readers of Bradblog.com know we cover elections like no other outlet in the nation and have now for 20 years with a specific focus on the track conditions as opposed to only the horse race. Though we cover that, too. This election year will be a big one. Like none other, it could even be the last one, depending on how it goes. If you've come to rely on the broadcast for your critical election coverage in election years, please consider supporting our work right now with a generous end-of-year donation via bradblog.com donate. Help keep the broadcast and bradblog.com free for all. A one-time donation, or better yet, a simple automated subscription for any amount you can afford is greatly appreciated and much needed. We couldn't do any of this without you. Please stop by bradblog.com donate right now. And from both Desi and me, please have a safe, happy, and healthy new year. You're listening to an encore presentation of The Bradcast. Guess he'd rather be in Colorado. Me too. He'd rather spend his time out where the sky looks like a pearl. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. On Wednesday, President Biden spoke at the world's largest wind turbine manufacturer. 
uh, called CS Wind in Pueblo, Colorado, where the company is planning to double the size of its Pueblo plant thanks to the Democrats' climate, infrastructure, and manufacturing laws. The plant is just one of the huge jobs and manufacturing successes for the administration, and it happens to be in the district of far-right Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, which drives her crazy, though that is a pretty <laughs> short drive. She won, she won her uh, re-election last year by just over 500 votes, the um, closest congressional race in the nation. On Wednesday, Biden slammed far-right uh, 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 firebrand Lauren Boebert in her own district. He criticized her as, quote, one of the leaders of this extreme MAGA movement. He criticized her for voting against the Inflation Reduction Act, the climate and health law that Boebert has decried as, quote, dangerous for America. It's dangerous, Des even as it has brought thousands of jobs and millions of dollars to her own district. <laughs> Last February, Boebert suggested that God was using her to stand up to then-House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who she implied was one of her, de quote, demons. At another point, she said she is, quote, tired of the separation of church and state. In June, she introduced a resolution to impeach Joe Biden, citing a, quote, dereliction of duty and abuse of power. More recently, Boebert has been engaged in damage control after being escorted out of a Denver theater for vaping and otherwise being disruptive, <laughs> as the uh, Washington Post described it. She narrowly fended off a surprise threat to her reelection in 2022, beating Democrat Adam Frisch by just 546 votes, even though her district is strongly Republican. And Trump beat Biden handily there in 2020. Boebert, who supported Trump's false claims of widespread fraud in the election, is likely again to face Frisch next year. He has argued that her inflammatory rhetoric and behavior, uh, such as comparing January 6th, the attack on the U.S. Capitol, to the Declaration of Independence of 1776, are distractions that hurt the district. Boebert responded to Biden's visit to her district with a statement accusing him of causing inflation <laughs> rather than ameliorating it. Quote, rather than cutting wasteful federal spending and unleashing American energy production, Joe Biden continues to pander to the radical extremists, she said, to lock up more land, spend his time focused on campaign stunts and vacations rather than doing the job he was elected to do. In a post on Twitter on Wednesday, Boebert added that Biden, quote, should be coming here to apologize for his all-out war on fossil fuels. Which, by the way, we record production. But other than that, yeah, it's a total war on fossil fuels. And his Green New Deal agenda, which have cost the great people of Colorado's 3rd District dearly. But uh, really, has it? Since we always complain that, uh, you know, while the White House sends Biden out to tout his many successful projects, much of America never actually hears about it because media would rather cover the villain, and we all know who that is, than, you know, the guy who is just sort of getting stuff done. So as not to be hypocrites ourselves, here is some of Biden's comments at CS Wind in Pueblo, Colorado 
on Wednesday. Building a clean energy future made in America is part of the progress we're making growing the economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. Because when the middle class does well, everyone does well. We're investing in America. We're investing in Americans. And it's working. Since I took office, my investing in America agenda has led to manufacturing boom that's attracted over $600 billion. $600 billion in private investment from private companies in America and around the world, manufacturing and industries of the future. When I took office, we set a goal to produce 100% carbon-free electricity by 2035. And because of my commitment to clean energy future, made in America, clean energy companies started investing here, here in Colorado. Here in Colorado, CS Wind, a Korean company, makes towers and wind turbines. I know you all know it, but people seeing this on television may not be certain. They used to make all their wind towers abroad. Then they decided to make them here in America as well. And today, CS Wind Factory in Colorado is the largest wind tower manufacturer in the entire world, in the entire world, with over 870 employees. It's simple. As I said for a long time, when I think climate, and I mean it sincerely, I think jobs, jobs. That's what climate's about, not only saving lives and saving the environment, but jobs. But that's not the end of the story. I signed a historic law, the most significant investment combating existential threat of climate change ever anywhere in the world. It does many things, including provide incentives to make wind towers in America and bonuses for clean energy projects that use those American-made wind towers to power American homes. And because of my investment in America agenda, CS Wind plans to invest an additional, an additional $200 million to expand the facility right here, another $200 million, doubling its production and creating 850 more good jobs beyond what's going on. And because of the investment, and incentives we wrote into the law, CS Wind recently announced its employees will receive an end-of-year bonuses as well. It, you can clap for that, man. It matters. Like I said, when I hear climate, I think jobs. Here in Colorado, the wind turbine manufacturing vistas is, is investing $40 million to expand fa its factory and hire an additional 1,000 employees. Solar manufacturer Ber Meyer Berger is building a new solar cell factory just down the road in Colorado Springs. And all across America, instead of exporting jobs, companies, both foreign and domestic, are creating jobs here in America and exporting America-made products. That's what we used to do 40 years ago. Through my bipartisan infrastructure law, we're also making the most substantial investment in American infrastructure since President Eisenhower built the interstate highway system. We're investing in roads, bridges, ports, airports, clean water, affordable high-speed internet. We're also bringing the summer semiconductor manufacturing back home. We're also focused on growing the rural economy. We're also helping farmers and ranchers deploy clean energy systems like solar panels on their farms and ranches, lowering energy costs and increasing, increasing their incomes. New data released just today 
shows the investments we're making have spurred by the Inflation Reduction Act, which I wrote, which we passed, is going to communities historically left behind. But folks, we haven't gotten a whole lot of help from some members of Congress on the other side of the aisle in the United States Congress. The historic investments we're celebrating today is in Congressman Boebert's district. She's one of the leaders of this extreme mega movement. She, along with every single Republican colleague, voted against the law that made these investments and jobs possible. And that's not hyperbole, that's a fact. And then she voted to repeal key parts of this law. And she called this law a massive failure. You all know you're part of a massive failure? Tell that to the 850 Coloradans who get new jobs in Pueblo and CS Win thanks to this law. Tell that to the local economy that's going to benefit from these investments. Tell that to anyone who wants to listen. Tell with thanks to Congressman, I think she, what she calls a massive failure, a solar power company that's investing $400 million here in Colorado, creating fit for 56,000 homes, create 250 good paying jobs. Light Source BP is building a new solar farm just down the road from here to power an additional 53,000 homes. Across Colorado, XL Energy is investing $1.7 billion to improve the state's electric grid. And folks, none of that sounds like a massive failure to me. How about you? I mean, it's crazy. This is an incredible opportunity. I got around the plant today to those who I got to talk to. You're changing America. You're changing America. It all sounds like a massive failure in thinking by the Congresswoman and her colleagues. Your Congresswoman also voted against the Chips and Science Act. And when she voted against the bipartisan infrastructure law, she called it garbage, a scam. As a matter of fact, the new Republican Speaker of the House, along with Republican Congressman Vern Buchanan, just visited Sarasota, Florida yesterday to tour the construction of a new terminal at that airport. It's going to create thousands of jobs over time. The project is funded with nearly $30 million from the bipartisan infrastructure law. And it's going to generate more than $30 million for Florida multiple times over. And guess what? Both the Speaker and the Congressman voted against the law and spoke against the law. But now they're down there taking credit for it being built. As my mother would say, God love them. As one of my friends back home would say, that's real chutzpah. That's real chutzpah. And just this morning, we learned that our economy, our economy, just this new data out, our economy grew by over 5% in the last quarter. That's more growth. That's more than it grew under my predecessor in any quarter outside the pandemic, despite promises of massive tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations would be what they said would supercharge the economy and trickle down to working folks. Not a whole lot trickled down to most kitchen tables I'm aware of. But when I took office, since then, the first two years, we created over 14 million brand new jobs, good paying jobs.
And nearly 250,000 of those good-paying jobs are here in Colorado alone. We've created close to, remember we're told we're not going to be the manufacturing capital. How can we be the manufacturing capital world again? Well, we've created close to 800,000 manufacturing jobs, almost twice as many as the previous administration did in all four years. The unemployment rate has stayed below 4% for over 20 months in a row, the longest stretch in 50 years. And we've seen the highest share of working-age Americans in the workforce in 20 years. And inflation is down. We have more work to do. But inflation is down at the same time. Core inflation is the lowest level in two years that we've had, the lowest inflation of any major country in the world. Let me be clear. Any corporation that's not passing these savings on to the consumers needs to stop the price gouging. And as my friend Senator Bob Casey from Pennsylvania calls it, greedflation. American people are tired of being played for suckers. Look at all the hidden fees you have. You find out, you call up your bank, and you want to find out what the balance in your account is. They charge you 20 bucks. It's wrong. One thing I said after we passed all these major pieces of legislation, it's the next big battle is going to be whether the very wealthiest among us began, and the biggest corporations begin to start paying their fair share. I'm not talking about 80 percent, 70 percent, 90. I'm talking about the highest tax rate in America is 36 percent. Let me be clear. The Speaker, Donald Trump, and the MAGA Republicans here in Congress are committed to protecting their outrageous tax cuts for those at the very top. And they're going to continue to oppose investing in all those programs that help people, whether it's in education, health care, whatever. One of the ways we paid for these investments is by making corporations begin to pay their fair share. Some of you may remember all the publicity back in 2020. 55 of the Fortune 500 companies in America made $40 billion in profits. That's good. You know what they paid in federal taxes? Zero. Not a penny. Not one penny. Because of the law I signed, billion-dollar corporations now have to pay a minimum of 15 percent of the federal tax. That's even less than you all pay. But they're paying zero before. That paid for all the work we did, and we have more work to do. Does anyone think the tax code's fair? If you do, raise your hand. Even people doing well don't think it's fair. You know, we had about 750 billionaires in America before the pandemic. Now there are a thousand. You know the average rate those billionaires pay in the federal taxes? Eight percent. They make a billion dollars and they pay eight percent. Raise your hand if you pay more than eight percent. Every one of you do. I mean, just think about it. That's less than a firefighter or a teacher or so many other people may pay. That's why I'm proposing a billionaire minimum tax. Get this, a, billion, a billionaire minimum tax, not even at the highest rate, at 25 percent, which is a lot of you pay if you're making a family of, 100, a family of four making 150,000 bucks a year. If just 25 percent is still 10 percent lower than the top rate, and it would raise $440 billion over the next 10 years. Just paying 25 percent instead of eight. Imagine what we could do if we just made these billionaires pay their taxes like everyone else. We could use it to strengthen the Social Security and Medicare system instead of cutting them or like Congressman Trump and Bob would want to do. 
We could use it to help millions of families afford a little help with senior care. All these ideas would be a hell of a lot better for growing the American economy than letting billionaires keep paying less taxes than any middle-class working person in America. Let me close with this. My plan is based on the belief that every American willing to work hard should be able to get a job, no matter where they live, in the heartland or in a small town, to raise kids in a good paycheck and keep their roots where they grew up. My dad used to say, and I said, I'm deadly earnest, he'd say, Joey, a job is about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about being treated with respect. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay, and mean it. There are a quarter of a million more jobs in Colorado since I took office. That's a quarter of a million more people throughout this state, including in this district, who can look their kids in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay. That's what it's about. This is not any, they call it socialism. My plan is rooted in what we've always worked best for this country, investing in America, investing in Americans. Because when we invest in our people, when we strengthen the middle class, we, strong, we see stronger economic growth for all Americans, not just the middle class. Everybody grows, for real. Here's the deal. I've said this, and I said this to Deng Xiaoping and the Himalayas, and I've said this to every world leader. It's never, never, never been a good bet to bet against American people. Never, never, never. And I can honestly say, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I can honestly say, I've never been more optimistic about America's future than I am today. We just have to remember who in God's name we are. We're the United States of America. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity to work together. So let's continue to work together, and God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. We're moving, folks. We're moving, and no one's going to stop us. Thank you. President Biden at the CS Wind Turbine Manufacturing Plant, the largest and getting larger in the world on, <laughs> uh, on Wednesday in Pueblo, Colorado. Green News Report is next. You are listening to the broadcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of The Bradcast. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, uh, Des, as I said earlier, a lot of suspiciously good news uh, today in the G Green News Report for yes. some reason. Uh, at least more than usual. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. So really that this story highlights the vulnerability of the global south in a scenario of global warming. Unprecedented heat waves set all-time high national temperature records in Brazil and South Africa. Commercial jet crosses the Atlantic, powered by waste, fat, and sugar, not fossil fuels. Plus... As I said for a long time, when I think climate, and I mean it sincerely, 
I think jobs. President Biden touts booming clean energy economy in MAGA Republicans district. Boberts? Yep. Did he go to the theater with her? <laughs> no. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. They do want to take away the gas stoves. And in fact, they are taking away the gas why? stoves. Why? Why do they want to ban gas stoves? Because they hate us. They hate humans. They hate joyfulness. They hate pies. They hate good food. They hate, they want us all to be miserable. They want us to suffer because they're all miserable. They want all of America to be as miserable and unhappy and unloved as they are. And we're just not going to go along with it. They're not taking away the gas stoves. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, Fox News just can't give it up, can they? <laughs> no, no, they can't. Oh, they're taking away your gas stoves, your refrigerators, your washers, your dryers, everything you love about life. Anyway, what do you have for us that's rooted in reality, Desi Doyen? Well, first, last week, Brazil set a new all-time high national temperature record during a deadly record-shattering heat wave. And it's not even summer yet. The weeks-long extreme heat wave, the fourth to broil the country this year has withered crops and triggered extreme storms, floods, power outages in major cities, and thousands of wildfires in critical species habitats. The heat was also linked to the death of a fan at a Taylor Swift concert. And South Africa also set a new all-time high national temperature record during the same stretch. This is not good. Nope. Also not good in international politics. Far-right climate science deniers have won elections in Argentina. Argentina and the Netherlands. Argentina's new president, Javier Millet, has called climate change a socialist lie and said companies should be allowed to pollute rivers as much as they want to. <laughs> In the Netherlands, the extreme far-right party of Geert Wilders won a parliamentary majority, promising to expand oil and gas extraction and pull back on climate and clean energy policies. Can't we just give these guys jobs on Fox News instead? Why do they have to break everything? Here in the U.S., a new study calculates that fine particle air pollution from coal-fired power plants was much more deadly than previously thought. Based on updated scientific data, the researchers estimate that since 1999, U.S. coal plant air pollution contributed to nearly half a million premature deaths, twice the number previously thought. Coal-related deaths have decreased dramatically as the nation has moved away from coal electricity. Well, that's a good thing. In a Aviation. A 787 jet has become the first commercial airliner to cross the Atlantic Ocean without using any fossil fuels, relying on a fuel blend made primarily from waste fats. Biofuels have substantially lower emissions than conventional jet fuel, but their use is limited by supply constraints and high costs. Some environmental groups called the one-time test flight a good first step in tackling aviation emissions, while the industry develops new technologies like electric batteries, liquid hydrogen, and other fuels to reach zero carbon emissions. Good. The Department of Energy released another $300 million in funding from the infrastructure law 
to boost clean energy manufacturing in former coal towns in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere. Definitely good. President Biden authorized the use of the Defense Production Act to expand domestic manufacturing of super-efficient all-electric heat pumps for heating and cooling that are more efficient than traditional heating and air conditioning systems. And finally, the president was in Pueblo, Colorado this week to visit CS Wind, the largest wind turbine manufacturing facility in the world. In the world! CS Wind is investing $200 million to expand its factory and hire hundreds more workers thanks to incentives in the Democrats' climate and jobs law, the Inflation Reduction Act. Biden pointed out that the factory expansion directly benefits the district of far-right Republican House member Lauren Boebert, who voted against the IRA and has called it, quote, a massive failure. All across America, instead of exporting jobs, companies, both foreign and domestic, are creating jobs here in America. Jobs. That's what climate's about. Not only saving lives and saving the environment, but jobs. Well, no wonder they're furious about it over on Fox News. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I bet I may as well try and Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yeah, some good news for a change. Yeah, an excellent Green News report. Uh, thanks also for producing this program as you do every day and did so well today. Much appreciated. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated greatly. If you missed any portion of today's program or want to give it another listen or share it with someone you know, love, or hate, you can do so for free at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you who help us Remain on your public airwaves day after day by hitting one of those donate buttons at Brad Blog or going to bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for that. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Would love to hear from you. You can also find me on the uh, Facebooks, Mastodons, and yes, the site still known as Twitter at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I bet I may as well try and catch the wind. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1854. That was the day that Mary McDowell, known as the Angel of the Chicago Stockyards, was born. Mary's father brought the family to Chicago from Cincinnati after the Civil War. Her family was friends with U.S. President Rutherford B. Hayes, and as a young woman, she spent a month in the White House as a guest. Mary received her college degree and worked as a teacher for a wealthy family in New York. But living and working among the wealthy was not to be the course of her life. She returned to Chicago and became a kindergarten teacher at the famed Hull House. She then became the head of the University of Chicago Settlement House in the back of the yards. The Settlement House served the diverse neighborhoods around the Chicago stockyards. The community center included a library, play lots, gymnasiums, and classrooms. Mary and her Settlement House supported the rights of workers to form unions and to have safe working conditions. 
In 1903, Mary became the head of the Illinois chapter of the National Women's Trade Union League. The Pittsburgh Press reported on an incident that captured the spirit of Mary McDowell. The city of Chicago had a practice of using garbage to fill holes in the streets surrounding the stockyards. Mary showed up at the mayor's office with a group of women from the neighborhood and demanded, quote, All right, we want the rest of it dumped on Lakeshore Drive. If it's good enough for the stockyards, it's good enough for the drive, too. As a result, the city stopped using garbage to repair the streets. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two.